0: You're listening to the Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to unite and educate the church are made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. Please consider joining them for $3 a month at patreon.com forward slash the Whole Church Podcast.
1: All right. So Ephesians 4 11 and 13 states, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Uh, how can these church offices build the body to attain unity? It's it's the whole idea of... It's twofold, I
2: should say. It's twofold. they on one hand, have the equipping of the saints. You have disciples making disciples. Have this whole idea of teach your people to be able to eat meat and teach your people to be able to spiritually stand on their own two feet, and I don't mean without God, because God's the only way the only reason that we can stand spiritually. By when it comes to the relationship between us and the pastor and God and all of that. The pastor is good, but it should not be necessary for the intermediate, us and God. Those days became fulfilled and over with Jesus. So, being able to equip your people to go out and do the works, to be able to go out and minister, to be able to go out and make more disciples, A, pushes forward the kingdom. But the other caveat to all of that, the other part of this is going out and teaching relationship. The fact that we have an active relationship with God. You know, we can have all of the responsibilities and the routines and know exactly when to do the songs. We can know exactly when to do the prayers, all of it. We can have literally all of it with the exception of responsibility and not have God. We need relationship in order to have any of this matter. The relationship with God that drives all of this forward. So if we are teaching active relationship and active, active understanding that this is a loving relationship both ways, then that puts an entirely different spin on all of that, for all of the first half of what I said. Because we're pushing forward, yes, we're making disciples, yes, we're teaching skills, but we're teaching skills from a place of pushing forward the acknowledgement and the understanding of this dynamic and wonderful relationship that we have in God. Because I think sometimes we forget that. Yes, we can have love and and, and honor and respect and all of these things towards God. Yes, we should have all of these things towards God. But the creator of everything also looks at us with love, also actively wants to be in relationship with us. It's not just a one-way street. So that changes everything when we're going out and continuing to push forward the kingdom, continuing to... Preach to the masses and and do all of the things that we are called to do as Christians, as disciples.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to the whole church podcast, home of TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell. TJ, how does it feel to live on the internet? Uh, It's okay. The ads get a little annoying. Hmm. Yeah. For those of you who have ad blockers, we do appreciate the extra space. Thank you. I am your other co-host, by the way, Joshua Knoll. We're excited for today's episode. This is part seven of eight of our church office series. We're coming close to the end, guys. Today, we're talking about the office of evangelist, whether or not it's an office what is it what does it do i'm going to tell you guys something about pilgrim's progress just because i like pilgrim's progress really and uh
1: it'll be a fun time we wanted to give a special shout out to our patrons austin russell sandra lily Jeannie, aaron justin frida taryn and dawn thank you for yeah. supporting the show Woo!
0: And that being said, uh, we just like to throw out there when we do episodes with multiple people like this, that just because everyone's on this episode does not mean they're all willing to work together in perfect unity. They don't all support one another's church or anything like that. We're working towards that. But right now, we're not at the point where they would have perfect unity with one another. But they were willing to help us with this. So thank you guys who are listening. And with that, we, we go back to our same silly question. For every episode, I don't remember the name of my answer, so I'm going to let TJ go first while I look it up, and you guys won't even notice. If any animal from Barnyard were to fill the office of an evangelist at the Church of the Barn, who would it be, TJ?
1: Well, uh, if you've been keeping up with the series and for some reason have just remembered this part very well from each episode— uh, you will remember that we've decided the Church of the Barn is Lutheran, and you will soon find out that Lutherans do not have the Office of Evangelist. So, uh, no one. I feel like that's But a if I cow had cow. to say someone, I would say Peck. I would say Peck the Rooster is going to be the Evangelist. Peck is hmm. timid, meek perhaps, but very steadfast in what he believes yeah, good at getting the word out, too. Roosters and, are in general. Yeah, I'm going to go
0: with pig the mm-hmm. pig.
1: Peck, not so much, but.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. All the reasons that TJ said the pig be a great apostle because he would talk to everybody. Those are my reasons why he'd be a good evangelist. <laughs> yes, I did copy TJ. Yeah, that's, Yes, I did yeah. cheat. Moving on. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. Um so just just to give some pretense for what I'm picturing, when I talk about evangelist and when we ask these people questions, my image goes to the character from Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, old book by John Bunyan, a very, you know, hits the nail on the head kind of allegory. Literally, the main character's name is Christian, and it's about the journey of a Christian. Um, To, to give you guys more hints of how obvious it is, the character we're talking about, uh, he was an evangelist. His name was Evangelist. Yeah. Yeah. The whole, the whole book's like this. It's great. Um, but the, the part evangelist plays in the book, I feel like it gives a good kind of key into what most people think of when we think of an evangelist Christian. He is in the town or the city of destruction. That's where he starts off. Yeah. Again, right on the nose. He finds a book that is the Bible he opens it, he reads it, he feels convicted, has no idea what to do with this. He's like, oh man, I suck. What do I do? The evangelist comes up and points him to the path It goes this way. That path eventually will lead to the cross. So that's what he does. A little while later, Christian is in, I don't know if it was a lake or what, so I'm going to call it the pond. The pond of despond was, uh, he gets stuck in there. Uh, a guy named Help helps get him out. Uh, Turns out that help was sent from evangelist. Um, Then later on, Christian takes advice from worldly wisdom was the name of this character. Ends up going down the wrong path. Evangelist runs into him again and says, hey, why are you over here? Gives him a little bit of convicting message and points him again back to the right path. That's what an evangelist does. He points you to the right path. He helps you along. He stirs you up when you're feeling despond. Evangelist sends help. That's sort of the role of an evangelist. That's sort of what we're going to be talking about today.
1: Right. In the clips coming up, we ask our guests how they would define an evangelist. Uh, Later on, we'll ask them whether their church has an official role of an evangelist, how it functions in their churches, how it's different from public speaking. And finally, we'll ask our guests how they can relate to evangelists of other traditions. You will hear clips from Professor Chris Moreland, who is a religion professor at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington, Joe Day, a leader of a home church and host of the Buddy Walk with Jesus podcast, Pastor Will Rose of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Pastor Gary Adkins of Harvest Ministries Church of God of Prophecy, a Pentecostal tradition in Rock Hill, South Carolina, Reverend Keno Kennedy of the AME Zion Union Bethel Church in Cornelius, North Carolina, Reverend Kelly O'Sullivan, a minister of the Anglican Church, and Dr. Russell Moore of Christianity Today. A minister in residence at Emmanuel Nashville, which is an interna- interdenominational church. Uh, there wasn't a ton of variety in how our guests defined an evangelist, but how evangelist functions in each church is wildly different. Uh, so here are those clips about what they had to say about the office.
0: First, we asked Pastor Gary Atkins of Harvest Ministries, Church of God a Prophecy, a Pentecostal tradition, how he would define an evangelist.
3: Uh, I actually worked as what we called an evangelist in our organization for the early years of my ministry. And I would go church to church, usually about a week at a time. And I would just preach evangelistic, what we call evangelistic messages that just dealt with salvation. I didn't get into pastoral stuff. I didn't deal with um, some of the areas that a pastor would have to delve into from time to time. All I was up there doing is preaching Christ and the cross. You need to come to Christ. Your eternity's in the balance and giving them that appeal. Now after me, the pastor and the church would pick up whatever converts there were and then further train them in the uh, the truth of God's word.
0: Yeah. yeah. One might say, pastor them.
3: But thank <laughs> you. That was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully. We'll <laughs> talk that was good.
0: Next, we ask Reverend Kino Kennedy of the AME Zion Church in Cornelius, North Carolina, how he would define evangelist. Reverend Kino Kennedy, <laughs> how would you define an evangelist?
4: Ah. An evangelist is someone who is responsible for spreading the gospel, and have the desire and the drive to do that. So everybody can't be an evangelist. Everybody can't be a pastor. They can't be a prophet. Whatever. Everybody can't. There's certain functions, and so the evangelist function and responsibility mainly should be to go bring others to Christ through their lifestyle and the teaching, and not the teaching, but the way they're they're talking to folks. Sometimes you don't have to be a preacher to be an evangelist, somebody but to evangelize, all that really means is that you're just sharing and spreading the gospel and bringing others to the knowledge of Christ.
0: This next clip is Reverend Kelly O'Sullivan of the Anglican tradition.
1: Uh, Kelly, how would you define an evangelist? So, evangelist,
5: in my uh, opinion and my understanding, is more a function than an actual um, office. So, when you read the scriptures, when you see who's an apostolic delegate um, in Ephesus, uh, St. Paul writes to him and says, Do the work of an evangelist. Now, Timothy was doing a lot more than evangelism. Um, he was helping to run the church. He was preaching in season and out of season. He was guarding the sheep from wolves, Um, but he was also um, sharing the gospel, uh, proclaiming the gospel. He was doing the work of an evangelist. And so I would say an evangelist is more a function. Um, The church has had uh, lay evangelists, people not ordained, uh, and uh, people who are ordained as priests or, or deacons or bishops who who are really good at sharing the gospel. That's what I would say an evangelist is.
0: We asked Professor Chris Moreland, World Religion Professor at UNCW and Catholic member, how he would define evangelist.
1: So, Professor Chris Moreland, how would you define an evangelist?
6: an evangelist. An evangelist is someone who preaches the gospel. An evangelist in, they may preach the gospel with words. They may preach the gospel through their actions. They can preach it through a ministry of presence by simply being in the right place at the right time when people need them. They can be, they can be evangelical by practicing the corporal and spiritual works of mercy to people. But they are those who have, you know, understand the gospel and wish to live by it through their words and, more importantly, their deeds, and to bring others into the gospel life through that example.
0: next we asked Pastor Will Rose the same thing Pastor Will Rose how would you define an
7: evangelist hmm I first thing comes to mind is someone who is preaching and teaching in public, whether it's in front of ten people or a hundred thousand people. I an evangelist who is out there, and of course, evangelists, TV evangelists, all that sometimes get a bad connotation and and uh, are stereotyped to be this person in a kind of a blingy sequin jacket who is calling for people <laughs> to give money to whatever organization they have. But but uh, evangelical is within my own. Christian denomination. So evangelical Lutheran church in America, we are evangelists. We are evangelical in a sense that we're called to proclaim and be bold with the good news of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, that's what I think of an evangelist. And again, priesthood of all believers, it's not just the pastor or the bishop who's in charge of that evangelism of spreading the good news of Jesus, but really all people all baptized Christians and disciples of Jesus are called to be an evangelist uh, wherever they work, wherever they play, wherever they learn, um, they're called being, now. Some are more gifted in public speaking, some are more introverted, some are more extroverted. Some people, their evangelism is is great with numbers and they can come balance our books and be on the finance team and still express the good news of Jesus that way. Others have a gift for teaching and can get up in front and, and hold people in the palm of their of her hands and, and preach in a great way. Um, so there's different evangelists, but yeah, it's just someone who, who is set aside to to express the good news of Jesus. My first thought with Evangelist was
0: Billy Graham. Yeah. It's like the great American Evangelist, I guess.
3: Well, you you probably heard this when you've talked with others, it's kind of unique among those gifts that are listed. I think there's only two people that are referred to specifically as evangelists. I believe Paul tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. So there is kind of a role that you can play in that. But I think the most information we get is on Philip. And uh, if you look at Philip, Philip was kind of used by God to go certain places and just kind of declare the gospel. Uh, It was seemed like a specific type ministry. In fact, in one place he preaches and get some people, you know, to know about the Lord. And then later some of the apostles come down, give them further information out of the Word of God, uh, deal with them concerning the Spirit. And so he took them to a certain place and then others came in behind him. So I I think the work of uh, an evangelist is kind of a, a sharing of the basics of the gospel.
2: Yeah.
0: So what stood out to me most in uh, the clips we just heard was really Chris Moreland's response. Uh, You know, a lot of them, which is kind of sort of what we saw with the character evangelist earlier in Pilgrim's Progress. Right. But I did not expect Chris Moreland to be so gun-ho about, yeah, we have a evangelist and yeah, we should all be evangelical because it's like in my head, uh, just like how Protestants are kind of like weird about talking about Mary or tradition I I'm my head, since Chris Moreland was, is a Catholic, I was like, ah, you can't say the word evangelical. <laughs> They're allergic to that word, aren't they? Yeah, just not true. They also want to be evangelical. They just don't necessarily mean the same thing by that word every time. But they want to evangelize people. So it's a big part of the Catholic ministry as well.
1: Um, did you have any thoughts right. on that, TJ? Or? Yeah, I think you just hit the hell on, head on the nail on the head you hit the nail on the head uh, I don't know what's going on today but I, I was equally surprised to hear Chris say you know so enthusiastically how he wishes to be evangelical and how everyone should be evangelical I just yeah. you know us Southern folk we don't expect that from the Catholics
0: yeah yeah well and even in the greater world picture right now evangelicals become like a, a no no word you know Either you're Protestant and you're yeah. like, we're evangelical, or you're the world and you're like, oh, those evangelicals.
1: <laughs> you know? Right. And we do have an episode about that. But when we asked how the office of an evangelist functions in our guest churches, here's what they had to say.
0: Again, this is Pastor Gary Atkins of Harvest Ministries Church of God of Prophecy, a Pentecostal tradition. Um, so a lot of the churches we've spoken to, uh, which is something that surprised me, is uh-huh. they don't have a position for evangelist. Yeah. Um, they'll say, you know, people in their church are called to go out and say the message. Mm-hmm. Um, one guy, we were able to talk about Billy Graham.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But um, why is it that our church finds it important to keep that position of an evangelist?
3: You know, that's a great point. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I'll say this, Josh. We, we have always celebrated the role of the evangelist. We have always had positioned evangelists in our organization on, you know, on our state and then our general levels. But for the first time ever, that position is going away. Uh, I don't know what your other oh. pastors would tell you, but revivals don't happen much anymore um, in, in local churches. Used to be, like I said, when I started, it was not unusual to start a revival on Sunday morning. Preach that Sunday night, go through that entire week, and then preach again through that next Sunday morning, next Sunday night—ten services.
7: And I would say, so, like, yeah, over the over the last decade or whatever, even the last four four years, evangelical has has kind of a a, a PR um, problem, and uh, it, it's people don't. Uh, for the most part, see that almost as a negative term. And so there's even been talk within the ELCA, should we drop the E? Uh, should we call ourselves something else? Do we want to be associated with that particular tradition within Christendom? And uh, for the most part, we said, no, let's hold on to it because we do think it's important uh, that that we understand ourselves as perhaps sharing a different term or narrative or or different way of expressing the gospel, uh, more grace-oriented, but but we're going to hold on to that that term evangelical because yeah. it's important. And that's what Luther wanted to call it. He did not want to call it uh, the Lutheran church after him. He said, don't name it after me. I didn't die for your sins. We should be that evangelical. <laughs> we should be an evangelical church. And so he coined that phrase, some of that's proclaimed, and that's why we've kind of stuck with it the ELCA. Wow. I actually didn't know that. That's, that's pretty yeah. interesting.
0: This is Joe Day of The Home Church and co-host of Buddy Walk with Jesus and Systematic Ecology.
1: All right. Uh, How does this office function in your church?
2: This is something that we actively empower everybody to take part in everything that i just said it that's those are the exact principles that we teach to anybody that that comes through our system um because we we think it's very very important that every person have that realization that ownership over their relationship with god um because it has a very real effect anytime Um, investment into that relationship.
3: I would challenge you that within 250 miles of where we sit this afternoon, if there's one church that's had a 10-day revival in the last you know, I'll say five years because of the Mm -hmm. pandemic situation. In the last five years, I I, I imagine that number would be very, very small. Mm -hmm. Um, So the role of the evangelist in that sense, now that doesn't mean there aren't evangelists. Why? Because God calls them. Mm -hmm. And so I believe there are people that are gifted and they go with the gospel message into different areas. It may be their work. Maybe they start a Bible study. And they start getting people to come. I know people that just have a gift of sharing the basics of the gospel with other people. And so maybe, Josh, that role is going to change. Maybe it's not going to be, you know, church crusades, but it's going to be guys going into their office or going into their communities or going into a rec center and grabbing some people that they know and start teaching them about Jesus and salvation. I just see it as a gift where we give the basics of the gospel to people who who need the gospel.
1: So, Josh, what stood out to you most about those clubs?
0: Yeah, um, yeah, listening just to how it functioned in different churches, I I find it interesting how we all kind of have the same idea of what it is. Some of us are like, yeah, we don't need an entire office. Everybody just does this. Um, some of us, particular Pastor Gary was really passionate on this subject. Um, it points out the need for revivals, the need for us to have someone who's going church to church, doing this thing. Um, but also Joe and how he describes how everyone, they empower everyone to be evangelical, evangelist, where they're going out and saying the word. There's a little bit of crossover there where Pastor Gary also is like, yeah, in our workplaces, we want to be spreading the word there, but also... For him and for a lot of these churches, it's also important to have someone who is doing the revivals, going to places, doing that work.
7: So I thought that was interesting.
1: Yeah, it's I think it really is one of those things that's more tied into how well, you know, an evangelist. Or how how much it's emphasized in your tradition. Yeah, like this, despite whatever the official stance might be. It's not something I think is brought up all the time, even for us, you know, like the evangelical church.
0: Yeah, we don't talk about what that means that often. Um, I do have a yeah, question. It's like, here's our evangelist it, for the day. <laughs> yeah, I, I just find it weird that some churches, just some people grow up in church and don't have that experience of, yeah, this is the evangelist, you know, like, um, did you find it interesting that Pastor Gary was the only one to mention revivals?
1: Not really. I mean, I kind of. You know, that's yeah. our thing. Yeah,
0: like I don't expect it of the higher liturgical ones or the home church. But in my head, I really expected with the with the Methodist church. So I thought well, I was like, yeah, he's going to mention he's going to mention revivals. I don't know. I just thought that would happen. But uh, they have yeah, where all of the
1: ministers are evangelists. So, Yeah, you would think that, you know. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> TJ's on a roll today, guys. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on in my head. I think he needs to sleep. You'd think the, you'd think the AME Zion Church would love... Revivals because you know it's basically a huge meeting, but it's also unorganized. Not that's a fan true. of that, over there. that's true. Yeah, yeah. interesting.
4: Right, and uh, now
1: we asked our guests whether there is an official office or position for an evangelist in their churches.
0: So does your church recognize any authority in like so with someone in the
4: evangelist position or so? So in, in, in my denomination, fun, funny enough, every ordained clergy is an evangelist. They get a certificate hmm. as a conference evangelist until they become until they be, uh, either become a presiding elder or a pastor or a bishop. Or general officer but yes they are They are, every ordained clergy is an evangelist in our church
1: all right so is there an evangelist office in the catholic church
6: yes there is now is it a formal um, inter- is it a formal title in the same way that bishop priest and deacon is no it's not but almost every single diocese has an office of evangelization. And John Paul II, when he was alive, called for a new evangelization. That evangelization was to be focused on the Western world, which had grown deaf to Christ's message. So he called to for a new evangelization for people whose ears had been plugged to the gospel, for them to hear it again in a new way. So, yes, one of my supervisors at um, the Diocese of Oakland was considered the chief evangelist of the diocese, a woman, um, Dr. Margaret Turek, a remarkable woman. And, you know, evangelization was about preaching the good news to Catholics and non-Catholics alike.
1: Does your church recognize any authority in the role of evangelist?
5: Um, not necessarily. So we, um, so I, I would clarify this. We see the role of the priest and the bishop as as kind of the, uh, the um, apest is subsumed under the, the role of the priest and the bishop. So I'm going to read. I'll just read a very brief prayer, um, if I if I can find it. This is the ordination prayer for a a priest. Um, I'm looking it up in the national prayer book, um, if I can find it. So what we read is that um, you know uh, after Jesus was ascended to heaven, he sent abroad into the world his apostles, preachers, and pastors, by whose labor and ministry he gathered together a great flock in all parts of the world, to set forth the eternal praise of thy holy name. For such great benefits of thy eternal goodness, and because thou hast vouchsafed to call these thy servants here present to the same office and ministry appointed for the salvation of mankind, we render unto thee most hearty thanks. In the 1662 Book of Common Prayer, um, when someone is ordained to the priesthood, um, they are fed to have the same office as... Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Um, so, if there is an apo- if there is an office of evangelist, it's subsumed under the role of the priest. And we do have uh, people who are licensed by the bishop as lay evangelist, um, but they're not officially ordained. Like if they um, they can their license can expire, you know. But I think nation is something that that once you're ordained, you're always ordained. It doesn't stop. Um, Even if you've been removed from ministry, you're still considered a priest in some respect. Um, So that's where I would kind of draw a distinction. I know that's a little bit of a long answer, but I actually think that uh, the role of apostle, prophet, evangelist, uh, and pastor and teacher are subsumed under uh, to the office of priest and seen most explicitly uh, with that of a bishop. So, that's what I would say.
0: Um, But an evangelist isn't a specific position in your tradition then.
7: No, that's not necessarily a term that we use. as a, as an elected or set aside person or official within, within our congregation or even our denomination. Um,
0: does your church recognize any authority in the role of evangelism?
3: Can you clarify that? Um,
0: um do they have any?
3: hierarchy of that or yeah no no uh again there was in our organization uh we're 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 run by um people over us and what i mean by that as i'm a pastor in the state of south carolina and our organization over the entire state we have what would be called a state overseer He appoints pastors to local churches. Now, the local churches participate in that, but he has the final voice. We take this pattern from Scripture when Paul, for instance, sent Timothy uh, to Corinth. And then he tells them, you accept him, you treat him well. And so it was very clear that Paul had authority over those churches, or he wouldn't have been able to do that. And so you had Paul over Timothy, and then Timothy over a local church. The same with his instructions to Titus on the island of Crete. He told Titus to appoint elders at every church, and yet Paul was over Titus. And so we see a level of leadership there. Uh, So in evangelism, we would have maybe a state evangelist that would work on a state level, we could have a national evangelist that was appointed to work on a national level. We have international evangelists. But but none was ever considered you know, any more important or any higher than the other. It was just a different appointment, a different yeah. office. Less about authority and more about organization. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't, wasn't authority at all. They were all esteemed the same.
1: So really what stood out to me about those clips is that everyone more or less was like, oh, there's not an official office, but everyone should be evangelical. You know, that's something we expect from everyone. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I, I thought it was interesting. The only people who said there was an office was obviously our church, Pastor Gary. We have state evangelist or an even national evangelist. I didn't know that was a thing or international evangelist. Um. And then uh, Chris Moreland said there was an unofficial, there was like a lay office of evangelist. which, hey, we should, maybe we'll get him back on to ask him what a lay office is.
1: That's, that is interesting. Yeah, right. right. Next, we asked our guest whether there is a difference between public speaking and evangelism.
0: Pastor Gary, how is evangelism different from public speaking?
3: Well, you know, just like we talked about and, and you read at the beginning, these are God-given offices. They're, they're ministry gifts that God gave to the church, right? And so, yeah, it's, it's different than any other thing. There is a particular gifting of evangelism. And what I believe is, just like he gifts a pastor to shepherd over God's people, a group of God's people, he gives a gifting to an individual, and they have the gift of sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with others. And like I told you, Josh, I've seen people that are use the term layperson, and they just have the gift of evangelism. Mm-hmm. Wherever they go, they talk about the Lord. They'll be in a restaurant and they're going to tell their waitress about the Lord. Uh, your own father uh, is never ashamed to talk mm-hmm. about Jesus with a yeah. co worker. If someone presents a need to him, he immediately points them to Christ. If they open a door, he'll tell stories about his life and what God has done for him and what Christ has done to change him. And so there are people, you know, like your father that I just believe have a gift of evangelism to tell others about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah. And I'll say that gift to my father is why we're here today and you guys are listening to this. Yes.
1: All right. Uh, How is this different from public speaking?
2: It can look like public speaking. It can also look like going to work every day, it can look like getting in front of a microphone or getting in front of a group of people, or it can look like the way that you conduct yourself in an office every single day, week in, week year in, year out in the consistency that you show in that role or your, your role as a parent or as a sibling or what have you. You know, this is it's different from public speaking because the way that we operate as humans, we are always paying attention, we don't realize we're paying attention. So the ways that other people are acting, they bear impact on the world around them.
1: Alright. Uh, so how is the Evangelism different from public speaking.
6: Well, anyone can get on a pedestal and claim that they're a preacher or claim that they're an evangel. you know, that they're doing evangelical work. But I would almost say that those that are truly evangelical usually are very reticent to speak in public. They are called even when they feel reluctant, much like, you know, Moses was saying, you know, I am not a great speaker. Why don't you choose someone else? Usually it is something that in, that someone who is more experienced and is very spiritually developed recognizes. They recognize the charism of speech in that person, and then it is brought to the forefront it is developed it is nurtured it is a grace that starts to emerge in that person because otherwise it's very much a clanging gong and it can be and if public speaking is not done well it becomes prideful and if truth is not expressed in charity it will drive people away so my take on the situation is that a lot of what constitutes street preaching these days is actually completely inimical to the message of the gospel, and is is driving people further away from uh, the message of Christ.
1: So, Josh, what really stood out to you about those clips? Um, you know,
0: I feel like nothing particular. Just everybody sort of said the same. Evangelism is basically more than that. It's also in your actions. It's how you interact with people. It's, you know, day to day when you're talking to people. You know, obviously Pastor Gary talking about my dad stood out. Um Yeah, it, it it's just more of those and then also Pastor Gary's distinction of yeah, we need people who are being evangelists at work, but we also need someone who is doing revivals at church. That's sort of my big takeaway.
1: And finally, we asked our guests how they could best relate to evangelists of other traditions. Here are those clips.
4: Yeah. So yes, I I would respect the office of an evangelist. Um, I would, if somebody's Introduce themselves as evangelist such and such. I would address them as evangelist such and such. So I I don't have a problem uh, respecting that that office in the church. Uh, and and most folks in the Methodist Church don't have no issues um, addressing anyone or, or respecting that office in in the Methodist Church. I don't think so. No, there's no issue.
1: Interesting. Awesome. Um, would you
0: be willing to accept the authority of an evangelist from a tradition like that?
7: Sure, sure. It does I don't think it means I have to like agree with everything they preach on, or maybe we have a different <laughs> take on on how they interpret the scripture. But yeah, I'm all ears. I'll listen to what they have to say and what what gospel uh, they're preaching.
0: Awesome. Are there any circumstances in which you would be willing to work with an evangelist from another denomination for a revival effort?
3: Yes, yes, we've done that in the past. Um, We used to have some folks come and uh, (laughs) if anyone had the gift of evangelism, this family had the gift of evangelism. Um, They were not of our group, but what we had was very good um, confidence shared with us from others that we had fellowship with, that we knew their life. These individuals uh, vouched for them, for lack of a better term. We got to know them. I think we had them come speak on a Sunday one time. uh, And then we invited them for revival shortly thereafter. So, yeah, if those individuals love God, have a gift of evangelism, uh, preach the same Christ that we preach, hallelujah. You know, we want you to go share the gospel. And sometimes we want you to come here and share it with us.
0: Last one under what circumstances would you not be willing to work with an evangelist from another denomination?
3: Well, I mean, that could be so many different things. Number one, naturally, would be if if they don't have an orthodox teaching centered Christ around Christ, around salvation, naturally, you can't work with that. But then let's say, Josh, we hear of, um, lifestyle issues with an individual, okay? Yeah. And this happens, sadly. It can happen with anyone. We know it happens with pastors sometimes. But let's say this evangelist has a reputation. It's not a good reputation in certain areas. And then we see fruits of this in their life. And, uh, and then we say, you know, naturally, we don't feel like we can bring you into our pulpit because then we're going to place you, at least for a temporary season, in authority over our congregation. We're not going to be able to do that. Yeah. And so that would be a a deal breaker in that sense. You don't want to make a hero out of them. Well, you know, if you knew, if you know, you know, something in a person's life that doesn't line up with the word, they're not right with God in some area, then we can't put them up as an example to the people of God. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Would you expect,
1: respect an evangelist from another denomination and expect the same in return?
2: I would probably, if I came across somebody whose title, formally speaking, was evangelist, I would probably rib them and ask them if they're trying to teach, if the only reason why they're being called that is so that way they're the ones that are responsible for teaching they else how to do that too. Uh, but outside of that, yeah, I mean, you'd... I almost feel like there would be a heightened sense of responsibility to the person whose name evangelist, because you'd think that, you know, we're a preacher or missionary or there's so many, there's so many different titles, but to say evangelist and to step forward and say that that is my role. I almost feel like if I'm being honest, I would have to temper a little bit of my, um, expectation or sense of responsibility that the person has if they are the sole voice because it's not it's a it's not really supposed to be that way that that's just a lot of responsibility and a lot of of funneling that goes through a single person or a single set of people
1: All right. Uh, Can you respect the authority of an evangelist from another denomination? And would you expect the same?
6: Oh, without question. Without question. We're all called to be evangelical. We're all called to preach the good news. And we're all called to bring others to Christ. So anyone who's working for that uh, and is a person of goodwill, of course, you know, All Christians are called to be evangelical, regardless of our denomination and regardless of whether or not we have the priesthood of all um, or the ministerial priesthood, uh, which is in the threefold ministry of the Church of Priest, Deacon, and Bishop. All right.
0: All right. So listening to that, those interviews again, these clips again, um, I'm just curious, TJ, how do you think we could best relate to
1: evangelists of other traditions? Just listen to them. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, if the church has an office of evangelists or someone who is evangelical, I think that's kind of what we're supposed to do. Their job is to speak Makes sense that would we you, should listen. Would you
0: ever, if like a Baptist church near you was having a revival, would you ever consider going? Or is it like a, nah, only our church's revivals?
1: I might. Yeah. Honestly, I'd probably go to any revival. Revivals are fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, they tend to be
0: well, a little go, bit more convenient to there. go to. True hmm yeah because it's the church near me had a revival i would certainly have to go
1: yeah i'd be so intrigued <laughs> right yeah one important aspect of evangelism that pastor gary adkins really emphasized is church revivals so uh, here's a clip of him explaining how he sees the importance of these revivals
0: Would you say that it's a good, bad or neutral thing that we're moving further away from revivals and more towards evangelism in the workplace?
3: Well, going in the workplace is great or going to evangelism anywhere is super. Mm-hmm. I see it as a horrible thing that the church doesn't have revivals anymore. One of the things you see all through the Bible is, is God says there's times when his people need to be renewed. In fact, revival in the sense that we would talk about it in a church is, is more for the church. Um, that God has to revive His own people. We see in the book of Revelation where Jesus told uh, one of the churches they were not hot, they were not cold, they were lukewarm. Uh, and He said they needed to have a return to their original zeal. He told another church that they had left their first love. And so what's ha- what can happen to all believers is... I can be doing good things, going to church, doing church functions, and I can lose my passion. I can lose my zeal. One of the things traditionally in our organization revivals would do, it would rekindle that zeal. It would rekindle the flames of the passion we had for Christ. Uh, people would spend time in the altar they would personally get right with God is what we would call it in our group and uh, kind of re-pray through if you will get reconsecrated, and then ready to go out and be a light ready to go back out in the community be salt and make a difference where they were so yeah Josh I think it's a bad thing I think we're too busy uh and I think that that's on many different levels we're too busy for a week-long church campaign anymore uh our children are in and I'm not against soccer my children played sports um but one of the dangers of sports in, in our generation is that they eclipse everything of the family and suddenly there's no time for church anymore um and so I think the church has to kind of look at this and I think you may, you brought a great point up it's um it should be celebrated that maybe evangelism is going into other areas. I think it should be mourned that it's leaving the church because the church needs revival at times.
0: For anyone who's ever seen or attended a Pentecostal revival, mm-hmm. I think they know what you're talking about. Yes. For those who haven't experienced that kind of revival, how would you describe the, the feeling you get that rekindling of the spirit that you mentioned?
3: You know, the scripture talks about uh seasons where there's times are refreshing that come forth from the presence of the Lord um, and in the Old Testament you can clearly see times where God says you know you got to come and get right again uh, gather the people we're going to get right again and we and you see it with Ezra you see it when he's in the book of Nehemiah when he's reading the law to the people and the people begin to break down and weep they are so broken-hearted that they have walked outside of the a counsel of God's Word and remember uh, Ezra has to come back to him and say, quit weeping. Uh, Nehemiah says, you know, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so I believe there's times when God's people need to gather, repent again, and you might say, well, preacher, we're already saved. But after I'm saved, if I'm not careful, the scripture tells me I can allow things to come back into my life. And as Jesus said to those churches in Revelation, I can lose my passion. I can lose my zeal. One of the churches, in fact, the church, he said that they had lost their first love, Joshua. He, um, he lists all the good things they did and hits a laundry list of just, this church was solid as a rock. In fact, if you went and visited it and you had a little book and you were checking off things, you would say, they're good in this, they're good in that, they, they do a good job over here. In fact, your list would have looked wonderful. They would get all check marks. And then Jesus says, you've left your first love. And then he tells them, if you don't get this straightened out, I'm gonna remove my candlestick. My presence is gonna leave. That tells me I can go through all the Christian motions, you know, still having Sunday morning, still doing our stuff, still taking care of our kids, still holding true to the doctrine, doing everything we're supposed to do. And yet I can really lose my passion for Christ. And so I believe, and, and I thank you for mentioning it, but Pentecostal revival is unique. Um, but it was just a time to get back your passion. Um, and I think that's through, you know, that gifting of the evangelist many times would, would bring us to that place. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not to, to tag team preach, but
0: <laughs> Paul said, you die to yourself daily. So I, I don't think there's ever anything wrong with repenting again. And, you know, he also was it, it's a uh, first Corinthians 13. Everybody knows that mm-hmm. right? mm-hmm. you can have all these gifts and, I, you yeah. know, there's plenty of places so you could do all the good things. Yeah. If you have not love. Yeah. So uh, thank you for that. Um,
1: and listening to that clip really just made me think of it was probably a few years ago. And by a few, I mean like five to six. I don't know. Uh, I might be young, but the years still do just meld together. And uh, we had a revival in the area at uh, Inman Church of God of Prophecy. And, you know, I had not been there before on a good day. They might have 20 ish people in there. You know, a good Sunday. But revival, uh, I think it was four days. Uh, I went every day. And it was absolutely slam-packed full of people. Don't know what it is, it's just people hear revival, and it's time to go. Yeah. Something in the water. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: true. My um my godfather, who's been he's been on the show before, um, I call him Pep. He's J Pastor J.R. Martin, who also just released a book, by the way. It is a uh, spiritual hiccups. Do you guys want to look that up? But uh, he was an evangelist for a large part of my childhood where he would travel from church to church doing revivals. And, you know, every now and then I got to go with him. And it was always something special. Even, you know, even when the revivals were not the same message but the same topic, I feel like you still got something out of it. There was just a spiritual awakening in people. And uh, my dad's a part time evangelist in our church. And I remember one time they were doing a revival that he he didn't even really preach that day. He got up because they were singing a um, these are the days of Elijah. That's kind of an older song. And he was like, he explained the song and asked them to just play it again. And then the rest of that service was just prayer. And it was a fantastic time.
1: Yeah, classic, classic Pentecostal moment. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Very Pentecostal, whatever they just sang. Quote that, put them back on stage. It's time for an encore. We're going to pray about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've and that's been like, to more services where that happened, but it didn't. Interesting.
0: That always sticks with me. Also, you know what else? We've talked about camp on here before, and I feel like camp always feels very much like a revival, just not at your church.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've always kind of thought of it that way. Camp is just... Revival. Church camp, that is. But like old school revival. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's old school revival. You're coming here. You're staying here. We're talking about God the whole time. It lasts six days. Well, you Um, know, five days. good times. So what actions do you think we can all take this week to better maintain Christian unity concerning this church office? Um... We can all
0: be more evangelical. Uh, Support evangelists. If you know someone with the office of evangelist, have them do a revival at your church. Whether they're your denomination or not, if you know they preach good word, hey, have more revivals. That's what I think we can do. Have more revivals. What do you think, TJ?
1: I think you're right. I think that's the best way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Nobody likes evangelists more than evangelists.
0: That's true. Um, And even if you're not official evangelist hey be more evangelical talk to more people about God at work and whatever and you know what you might find more Christians of other traditions and have unity in the workplace wouldn't that be crazy in fact it would TJ uh, would you say that that would be the ramifications of doing this action (laughs) it might all right then there you go guys Now you know what will happen as you do this
1: (laughs) right so Thinking on church unity as a whole, uh, we asked Dr. Russell Moore how he related to and viewed church offices from denominations other than his own.
0: Now, when you come across, you know, people with offices in other denominations, you know, whether it be a Catholic bishop or an Anglican priest or a Pentecostal evangelist, um, how do you find it most helpful to relate to Christians of other denominations that hold offices like that?
8: Well, I mean, um, I have uh, I have very close friends and partners in ministry that span all of those uh, different uh, categories. So I, I was speaking with an Anglican Bishop uh, earlier. I'll be speaking, Um, to a Pentecostal um, layman a little bit later and everything sort of uh, in between. I think the most helpful metaphor that I've ever heard uh, for this was from uh, Richard Mao, who said the various denominations, and I think this also would apply to the various offices within those denominations, really act almost like monastic orders. Uh, so, if you think of the monastic orders, um, you would have you would have different groups that are called to emphasize different things for the building up of the whole the whole church. So, the Jesuits um, would be uh, devoted to learning in a particular way, and the Trappists would be devoted to simplicity in a different way. But they're calling everybody to those things. And I think that's often true. Um, the Anglicans have uh, taken a vow um, to when it comes to the church offices to emphasize continuity uh, across time and uh, and authority uh, in, in the right way. The Baptists and uh, the Baptists are a sort of uh, people who've taken a vow to emphasize the um the the nature of all of the church as living stones and and parts of the the ministry Um, the pentecostals uh emphasizing uh the leadership of the spirit uh, the methodists the call to, to holiness i mean i think all of those things um each of those traditions is bringing and so, even when people would disagree with specific uh, specific interpretations of Scripture, they still can learn uh, from one another in those in those areas. And I, I think that's I think that's a good thing. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's the beauty of true Christian unity. Yeah, and I think. I think he is on something there, and I think it's powerful when we not only can respect one another's office, but respect one another's focus and what we're passionate about. And if we listen to one another and are willing to learn from one another, I think that's when we see the greatest form of unity. So I really love what he said there.
1: All right. And now it's time for our God Moment segment. If you've listened to the show before, you're familiar with this if you haven't, you chose a weird place to start, but our God moment is basically when we just take a minute to reflect on what God's been doing in our lives recently, whether it's a blessing or a curse or a moment of worship. And I always make Josh go first out of courtesy to myself.
0: Yeah, God cursed me this week. <laughs> oh, man, no, um, so many things happened. Uh, my brother got married, so that was, that was pretty cool. But uh, one of his groomsmen, his family's from Ukraine, I got to talk to him and his aunt still lives there and he's kind of telling me some some of the stuff that they've seen and heard that's happening over there in the war in Ukraine right now. And it's. It's devastating and um, very humbling to just think of the evil that man can do in the world and how easy we have it over here a lot of times in America and just kind of thinking of where God's at work, how God's at work, what we can do and how do we pray? Like, are we praying well for Ukraine? I don't know. It's a little bit challenging too. So,
1: all right, TJ, what about you? Right. So for me, my big sister has finally moving out of her house. uh, And by moving out of her house, I mean, has sold her house and has yet to finish completion of her new house. But she's been wanting to do that for a while. She wants to grow the family. Her kids need to have their own rooms for some reason, and um, they're moving behind Spoilers. my parents, which you know would have been really cool when I lived there. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: well, I, just I just remember that you don't live there. Yeah,
0: but now you can visit everybody. Really works, nice. So so you know, convenient.
1: Yeah, the family gets to stay together. It's always great to hear that. Uh, Not a lot of people get that opportunity or want that opportunity. So thank God. And if you enjoyed this episode, uh, please consider sharing it with a friend or an enemy. You always have that choice. Uh, If you don't have either. Share it with a cousin. Mom, dad. The options are limitless.
0: Yeah, literally just a stranger. Just the next person you see that works. Mm. And uh, if you want to hear more from TJ and I, um, we do another podcast with some other guys called Systematic Geekology, where we just talk about geeky stuff and relate it back to theology and philosophy, God, the stuff that we love. Um, we've done TJ and I personally have done Pokemon. Uh, we talked about Dark Souls. We've talked about a bunch of pirates, just fun stuff. So be sure to check that out. You can go to SystematicGeekology.org. Click on the little tab that says "Host." You can find me and TJ there and see all the episodes we're on, and it's a fun
1: time. All right. Thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. Tune back in next week for part eight of our Church Offices series, the grand finale, where we will discuss the role of lay people in the church. Following that, we are going to take two weeks off before returning to our normal format with a couple of exciting episodes, including a roundtable discussion of the evangelical and deconstruction movements in the church today. Uh, then at the end of season 1 Francis Chan will be joining us he also meant to say
0: ex-evangelical and uh, Francis Chan's unaware that he'll be joining us but he'll figure it out it's true I did mean to say ex-evangelical I thought you were going to say it's true Francis Chan will figure it out which is also
1: true he will it's also true very astute observation
3: yeah
0: Thank you for listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Come back next week for Part 8, the finale where we discuss the role of lay people in the Church. Please consider
5: supporting our show at patreon.com forward slash Podcast.